Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, great to see you this morning. Um, I'm Glenn, Glenn Barnes. If I haven't met you, I look forward to, to doing that. I'm glad you're here to worship together with us this morning. Hey, we're going to go ahead and dismiss kids to Children's Church. So we've got a, a program for grades six and down um, during this time, and you guys can be on your way. Um, the rest of you, uh, hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. You're going to want to grab those. Hopefully you have a, a Bible or have that on your phone, something close by as we dig in the scripture together. Hey, I should tell you though, as our kids are heading out, goodbye. Um, uh, this has already been a pretty full weekend around the church. Uh, yesterday, both Friday night and then most of the day Saturday, there was an eight-hour training um, together with 180 Counseling uh, called Real Hope on how to be a mental health first responder. So how to recognize symptoms and needs and kind of step into some of those things. Um, and I think I said there's a hundred, about 150 people scattered all around this room uh, devoted to that. And I don't know, I was just so encouraged to see so many people saying, I want to make a difference. I want to step in and be involved in even some of the difficult stuff in life. Some of those things, it's easier to just run away from, um, but it was great to be a part of that. And so if you were here, I hope that you were blessed and um, thank you for your desire to be used by God in that way. So uh, today we are beginning our second week in a series on the fruit of the Spirit called bear fruit, bear fruit. So uh, it's our hope that the image of a giant bear holding a giant pineapple will help you um, keep these things in the front of your mind. Um, For me, as long as the bear stays out of my car, I'm fine with the whole thing. Um, But as we get started, I wanted to point something out about this little phrase, the title of this series, bear fruit. Because bear fruit, in my mind, actually needs to be viewed more as a prayer than a command. I think sometimes we think it's going to be, you know, you better do these things. But the reality is it's more of a prayer. Why do I say that? Because this study that we're in for these next several weeks, I want to be very clear, is not the study of the fruit of trying harder. This is not a study of the fruit of get your act together, people. This is the study of the fruit that God's Spirit produces in us when we surrender our lives to follow Him. And so really, it's more about a prayer. Spirit, will you do your work in me? Change me, mold me, shape me, do your sacred, supernatural work in me so that I would bear uh, the fruit, the life-transforming, renewing uh, fruit of being made new by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the fruit of joy and peace. Now, we know that God's Spirit is going to always work through His Word. And so we have a theme verse for the study of the fruit of the Spirit, which is in Galatians 5.22. In fact, we'll put it up there. Um, If you don't yet have Galatians 5.22 memorized, I double dog dare you over these next couple weeks uh, to put this to memory. This is really something um, every Christian, it's not that hard, um, could learn this, and it's just so great to have with us. Um, But today, as we get started, why don't we go ahead and read this together. This is where this whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit comes from, Galatians chapter 5. Let's read it together. It goes like this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so that's what we're going to be studying. Now last week, um, if you were here, we kicked off week one with a a guest preacher, a Pastor Timothy from Vintage Church, um, came and preached here on love. It was kind of Love Lodi Sunday. I had a great opportunity to go over to Vintage Church and we swapped. I got to preach to to that church there. It was such a, a fun time. Hopefully those are not only good teaching moments, but just great reminders of the unity that we're supposed to have as the body of of Christ. Um, And all across this city and all across this region, we have so many great partner churches that we love and work with, uh, gospel preaching churches. And so that's just always a great reminder to to even do something like kind of swap pulpits on a day like that. But Timothy uh, taught us about love. um, And today we are going to, as we said, jump into the topics of joy and peace. So as we introduce this, especially as we think about joy, there's a little video I have to show you. Um, This is a video about a grandma who'd never been on an airplane flight before. And so her daughter, her adult daughter decides, I don't know why, to get her ready, it would be a great idea to take grandma on a roller coaster to get her ready for the flight. Uh, This is what it looked like right here. Meet Grandma Rhea. She'd never traveled on an airplane before. So before her first ever flight, to beat her fear, she took to the sky on a roller coaster. Don't you love it? We love that. Who wouldn't say, I will take that joy any time of the week? And honestly, I show you that video because in some ways it kind of introduces really the big idea for the morning. And it is basically this. You know what? Let's be honest. In this life, it is like a roller coaster. We are all going to face the ups and downs, the challenges, the blessings that come with life. But here's the deal. You can go through the roller coaster of life, and I can will, filled by the Holy Spirit with joy and with peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're tackling joy and peace together. Um, They are actually very similar things. They're not exactly twins, but they're more like siblings. They have a lot um, in common. Both joy and peace and this is what we need to really focus on, are intended for us by God to be a deep part of the Christian life. Joy and peace are meant to be marks of really who we are and what we're all about. They're intended to be the reality that we live with. Yet especially over these last few years, though we know joy and peace are meant to be the reality, so often it seems like, especially among Christians, that this is not necessarily what we have stood out for. Instead, it's things, uh, some people might argue that it's just the opposite. Um, So last weekend, uh, the elders of the church went on a little retreat together. And uh, one of the things that the guy who kind of facilitated and led our retreat, uh, talked to the elders about. I thought it was so good. He talked about really developing our inward life in in Christ uh, around some of these things like the fruit of the the Spirit. And he talked about how important that was as Christ followers to to have our insides transformed like that. But then he used the example, kind of the simple example of a tube of toothpaste. And he says, why is it so important that our inward life be transformed? He says, because life is like this tube of toothpaste. When it is squeezed out when it goes under pressure, what is inside is what is going to come out of the toothpaste. Very simple idea. But he also said, you know what, if you look around at the last several years and some of the pressure that has been placed on people, I'm not sure 
What has been squeezed out is joy and peace. In fact, more often than not, it's things like fear and anger and anxiety and defensiveness and more. And yet, God intends the Christian life to be full of joy and peace. It's one of the things that we are designed for. We are actually commanded to be people of joy and peace, which is kind of an interesting thought there. Um, So just a little bit about joy. Um, Joy is a huge concept throughout the Bible. In fact, the word joy, whether it's joy or joyful or rejoice in one form or another, is used up to 500 times throughout the Old and New Testament. So that's a lot of, of times. And if you just do kind of a quick survey of some of those things, You see it in all different situations. So in the Old Testament, where we have a lot of the the festivals and the the ceremonies, the things that that celebrate the relationship of God with the the people. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says it like this. It says that you should face those things and be joyful at your festival. So in other words, when you remember what God has done for you, and when you you gather together to, to focus on your relationship with God, it should be joyful. In the book of Nehemiah, this takes place after the people had gone through a really difficult time. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. They'd been kicked out of the city. Finally, they come back. They're beginning to rebuild. They're going to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls. But Nehemiah reminds them the strength, our strength is not going to be in these walls. It's not going to be in our city. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Then in the the New Testament, with the coming of of Christ, one of the great verses about joy is, is when the angels gather together to announce the coming of Jesus. What do they say? They say, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. I heard another pastor talk about this verse this week. It, it made a lot of sense to me. He said, you know, in our world today that is, tends to be so polarized, so tribal in the way we approach things, it's very rare that there is good news for all people. Because usually the way it works is if, if it's good news for my side, then it's going to be bad news for your side. If it's good news for my team, it's bad news for your team. If it's good news for the people on the left, then it's bad news for the people on the right, and everything's back and forth. Not the good news of Jesus Christ. It is great joy for all people, for all people. That's the kind of joy. Jesus gets at this in John 15 when he tells his disciples before he leaves them, I have told you this, that my joy, this joy that he experienced may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The apostles pick up on this as well. In in one of our verses we're going to look at today from Philippians 4, Paul famously writes this. He says, rejoice in the Lord when always, and I will say it again, rejoice. And the point is, and we could go on and on with these verses, the point is, is that joy is not some like lower level junior varsity add-on to the Christian life. It is meant to be at the core of who we are and what we're about. The same is true for peace. So we said joy is in the Bible about 500 times. Peace actually occurs 362 times. Um, And the idea of peace or shalom is the Old Testament word, is actually a very significant word throughout the Bible. In my opinion, it's one of those threads that runs kind of all the way through from the beginning to the end. Why do I say that? Well, in the book of Genesis, at the creation uh, in the Garden of Eden, one of the things that stands out is the peace 
peace that is there. Peace between God, peace between one another, and they're enjoying this peace. Then, of course, sin comes in, and the fall starts to corrupt the world. And one of the places that attacks is the peace. And so now the peace with God is, 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 is broken, and now that peace with one another is broken. And so much of the age that we live in now is the age where we're grappling at trying to restore that peace. I want to be someone who lives at peace. I, I want to be at peace with people. I want to be at peace with God. Well, here's the deal. At the very end, at the return of Christ, when all things are made new and there's a new heaven and a new earth, at the center of that is going to be this shalom restored. And so there's this thread that runs all the way through the scripture that is literally, I believe, a part of what we were created for. So we long for peace. Now in the Bible, peace is talked about in a few different ways. All of them are very significant. The first one is this, is peace with God. Peace with God. So this is this idea that I can be right with my heavenly creator. Yet as we said, we've got this thing called sin and all the actions and behaviors and thoughts and and just kind of this nature I have that the Bible, and this is kind of harsh, but this is the way it describes it, it actually says it sets us up as, as enemies with God. Like we're opposed to God. And so that's not good. We need to have that made right. We need to have peace with God. That's why the coming and the sacrifice of Christ is so significant because the Old Testament says it like this, uh, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. So his punishment became the sacrifice that was needed so that I could be at peace with God. That's the foundation of our faith, our relationship with God. If you don't have that peace with God, he offers it to you through receiving his son. And if you've never lived at peace with God, you could do that today. We'd love to talk with you about that. That's kind of the starting place of peace in the Bible, but it's not the only kind of peace. We also see that there is such thing as peace of God, the peace of God. This is this supernatural idea that even through the roller coasters of life and all the struggles and all the challenges, the good and the bad, I can still have this sense of serenity and and peace that's rooted in this idea that God is good and God holds these things in my hands. I may not understand them. I certainly don't like them, but I can be at peace no matter what. That's the peace of God, and we all long for that. The third kind of peace is actually the one that is referred to most often, you might be surprised to know, most often referred to in the Bible is peace with other people. This is the kind of thing when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so the shalom of God, the peace of God, also translates into the way we have peace with other people. So joy and peace are meant to be distinguishing marks of the Christian for the person who's in a relationship with God. However, I know for me, and I imagine this is true for you, there are so many things that it's like they just war against and attack that joy and peace in my life. They regularly work to kind of just steal that joy and peace. So here's what we're going to do. In just a little bit, we're going to look at just a really great passage from the book of Philippians. But before we open up and turn there, I want to identify three kind of common problems, common to all of us, and these are things that can steal our joy and peace. It's meant to be who we're defined by, but these things kind of war against it. None of them are real big surprises, but I think it's important to kind of call them out. And the first thing uh, that can steal our joy and peace is worry is the worries of life. Anyone ever lost their joy and peace to worry? I know I have. 
You know, the Bible talks time and time again about the, the sin of anxiety or the sin of worry, which probably just hearing that makes some of us worry more. Um, but if you look at worry in the scripture, it, it's interesting. In the parable of the sower, when Jesus talks about the, the good seed that is scattered around, one of the things that swallows up that good seed is the worry and the cares of, of life. In, in Jesus' famous teaching in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. You know, make God first and the stuff will, will work out and, and is what he says. And the opposite of that, the thing that's warring against that is worry. In the, in the apostles' uh, writing, in the, uh, especially in uh, Philippians, where we're going to see it in just a little bit, the opposite of trusting God in prayer, which is the goal, is anxiety or, or worry. Yet here's the problem. We can know all the verses about worrying, and yet it is still one of, if not one of the most common struggles that people face. In fact, if I were to just ask you, can you tell me the thing that's causing you worry these days? What is causing you anxiety these days? I would say almost all of us could pretty quickly give us a list. And they'd be all different kinds of things. It could be a worry about a, a family member. It could be a worry about something real and big, a, a health problem, a financial problem. My worries about the world and the direction of our country, all different kinds of things. We would all have our worries. And yet here's the problem. We carry those things around and they attack this thing that's meant to be a part of who we are, this joy and peace. In fact, you can come into a church like this on a Sunday morning and they can be up front singing, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And I am just not feeling it because I am overcome by the anxiety. So worry will, 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 will rob our, our joy and our peace. A second thing, kind of very similar along those same lines, is circumstances. The up and down struggles of life. The uncontrollable, challenging circumstances that come, of all of us, come at all of us. Now sometimes these are going to be big things. Sometimes they're just going to be the daily in and out um, stuff uh, of, of life. In fact, uh, I was thinking a little bit about a, a circumstance kind of stealing our joy and peace, and I was reminded of just a couple weeks ago, it was, was Easter morning. And so Easter was just awesome, and it's a great day. You know, if there's ever a day that's supposed to be full of joy and peace, especially for a pastor, it's going to be Easter, right? And so uh, Easter morning, I woke up, I was super excited. I woke up pretty early to get ready for a full day of uh, ministry. And, and by the time I woke up, I already had a message on my phone. And that message was from Steve Plath, who actually had gotten down here to the church even earlier than I woke up to make the coffee for the sunrise service. Because if you don't have coffee at the sunrise service, it's just a whole mess. You don't want to see it. So anyways, I wake up full of joy, but before I even hit the ground, I've got this message dinging me on my, my phone, and, and this is the message from Steve. He said, basically, on Easter night, at the church, someone had jumped over the fence where we store our vehicles, broken into the church bus, taken out of the church bus the fire extinguisher, sprayed that fire extinguisher all over the place, then didn't just politely set the fire extinguisher down, took that fire extinguisher and threw it through one of the windows in the kitchen of the church. On Easter, at a church... And I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to have joy and peace over here. And this is what you're throwing at me. 
And, and that's kind of a silly example because it's not that big of a deal. We could replace the window. We could get a new fire extinguisher, all that kind of stuff. But the point is, here we are trying to experience this joy and peace that God has for us. And there will always be something. There will be always something that comes at you. And if our uh, response is that I can only be joyful and pe- at peace when the circumstances line up, you're never going to have real joy and peace. Third thing that we see that can kind of rob and steal our joy and peace is legalistic religion and comparison. So religious legalism and this idea of comparison. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, some of us have this kind of classic sense of legalism. Like if I don't do these certain uh, uh, laws or these certain restrictions, or if I do this and I don't do this, then somehow God is not going to love me. God is not going to approve of me. Um, For some of us, it's more of a comparison kind of thing where it's like, I never feel like I can be as good as that person, or I'm always falling short of that. I always want to be that other person. But the idea is we live with kind of this burden, and instead of setting us free, it weighs us down. Why do I bring this one up? Because it actually comes from our passage in the book of Galatians. Because we just read in Galatians 5.22 about all these fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that comes on us. But in the chapter just before that, Paul is writing to the Galatians about the fact that they've gone missing with their joy and their peace. He actually says this, he says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? And what he's saying is for the Galatians, he had known them to be a people full of joy and gratitude. And you could maybe even say peace here too. And yet people had come in and laid kind of this religious legalism on them. And so now they weren't just living under the grace of Christ. They were living under this law. And Paul says, you know what? One of the things that happened is you guys used to be people of joy and now you're not. What happened? Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt? And I imagine if some of us were honest, you could look at your life and people could look at our lives and ask that very question. Man, you used to have so much joy. You used to have a life filled with gratitude. You used to experience peace. Where did all of that go? So we see these things can attack, that can attack our joy and peace. And so what I want to do today for the rest of our time together is I want to just go through this passage in the book of Philippians where Paul gives us um, at least kind of three ways that we consistently can live with joy and peace. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you about a few things about the book of Philippians. So um, Philippians, most scholars will tell us, has kind of a unifying theme. And most people will say that the theme of Philippians is, in fact, joy. In fact, the word joy or peace is used 20 times in the book of Philippians. You could, you could read Philippians beginning to end in probably 20 minutes. And so basically, about once a minute in this inspired piece of, of, of work given to us from the Holy Spirit, we're reminded about a joy and peace. And yet what's fascinating, at least to me, about that is if you think of all of the things that Paul, who writes this letter, had endured in the years that lead up to him writing this. So let me just give you a a quick list of some of the stuff that Paul had been dealing with and was still dealing with when he wrote this letter. Um, So for a while, for a couple years earlier, he had been in prison on false 
charges. And so he was held in prison, and he'd plead his case, he would try to get out, he would do all these things, but he was held in prison. Eventually, he pleads his case, he says, I, let me at least go to Rome and argue uh, my case in the Roman court. So they let him out of jail, and he gets on a ship to go to Rome. What happens to his ship? Shipwrecked. Crashes in against the, the rocks. The people barely live there, but they make it to this island where they're rescued for at least a little bit. And the, one of the first things that happens to Paul there on that island is he is bit by a poisonous snake right? So how's things going for him? He's bit by a poisonous snake. Everyone thinks he's going to die. God allows him to live. Eventually another boat comes along. They make it to uh, Rome and there he's not necessarily in prison, but he's under house arrest awaiting trial from Nero. And if you know your Roman emperors, Nero is not the guy that you want controlling your fate. And yet those are just some of the things that Paul had endured in the last probably five years leading up to him writing this book of Philippians. And yet here's the thing. The theme is joy and peace. You read this book and it is just dripping with this idea of, uh, of joy and peace. It could have been a giant pity party for Paul. Why do all these bad things happen to me? I'm the only one who's following God. All these things. But it's not a pity party, but it's a reminder to focus on joy and peace. And so uh, let's take a look at this passage. I'm actually going to read verses 4 all the way through verse 13, and then we'll kind of pull it apart. Um, Verse 4, Philippians 4 goes like this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to to help me. He was talking about giving a financial gift. He says, but don't worry about it. He says, now, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or a little, for I can do everything everything through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't that amazing stuff? And, and what I want us to do is kind of pull that apart and look at kind of three things that not so coincidentally kind of address or deal with each one of those things that can rob our joy. And the first one is this idea of fixing my thoughts. How do we do this? We fix our thoughts. So verse eight says this, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix Your thoughts, fix them on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So you might want to just circle that little phrase, fix your thoughts, because at least in English, it's a a play on word. I think originally what it it means is to give your focus to those things, make sure you're you're paying paying attention to those things. But I think it's a significant kind of uh, play on words for us to think, how can I actually fix my broken thoughts? Because let's be honest, a lot of us, the thoughts that kind of are driving our life are faulty. 
and even broken and in need of repair. Worry has a way of revealing our broken thoughts, right? That worry just shows kind of the brokenness in us. Uh, Let me just share an example of this. It was uh, not that long ago, just a little over a week ago. Some of you know that through the years, I've really struggled with insomnia, um, and I, I've shared this in the, the past, and, and I've gone through seasons where I've really struggled to, to sleep, and um, for the most part, I'm doing a hundred times better on that. Um, thank you for your concern for your pastor. I appreciate that, but I mostly am doing so much better on that, um, but every once in a while, I'll have one of those just sleepless nights where you just watch the clock, right? It's 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way. Maybe you'll fall asleep like 15 minutes right before the alarm goes off or something like that. Um, but I had one of those nights not too long ago. And here's the thing with those sleepless nights. The later and later it gets, the bigger your worries get. Isn't that true? And for me, those sleepless nights, sleepless nights are 100% anxiety and, and worry. And so on that night, I'm tossing and turning and I can't get to sleep. And I start worrying about everything right? I've got kind of a busy schedule that I was concerned about. I had some events and things that I was kind of in charge of that felt like a a lot. And so I was worried about those. And I was worried about, you know, different people I I was concerned about or family members that I was, you know, worried about. And and then you just start to snowball all that stuff. And you start to think about, you know, all the people that aren't happy at you and all the expectations that you could could never meet. And then it's about 3 a.m. I started worrying about how can the warriors ever beat the kings? I mean, literally, if you, you know, if you're awake, long enough, you got time to worry about everything. Um, And I tossed and turned. And can I tell you what? I did the exact opposite of that verse that we just talked about, right? Of, Of fixing my thoughts on those things. Actually, what it did is it revealed the brokenness of my thoughts. Because my whole focus was not on what is true and honorable and admirable. You know what I was fixated on? I was fixated on the things that were wrong and troublesome and all the stuff that was falling apart. And I guarantee you the result of that was not joy and peace in my life. Not only did it rob me of sleep that I needed, but it robbed me of joy and peace. And yet here's the thing. Now I'm eight, 10 days removed from that. And can I just tell you, probably 90% of the stuff that I was worried about on that night never came to pass. Just, just didn't happen. And even some of the things that I was worried about that, that did come, you know, with a little bit of work and doing your best, you can kind of work through those things. And yet here I allowed all of this kind of broken thinking to rob me of what the Bible says is supposed to be mine, this idea of joy and peace. But here's the problem with that. I needed to fix my thoughts. But the problem is this, especially if you've been a Christian for for any amount of time and you've heard this verse about fix your thoughts on all of these godly things, you say, that's great, I want to do it, but how? I know the verse, I know what it tells me to do, but how do I actually put this into practice? Well, it's a good question, and I think Paul kind of helps to answer that in the very next verse, because this is what he says to him. He says, don't just, you know, don't just focus on these things, but he says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. He says, everything you heard from me or saw me doing, he says, then the God of peace 
will be with you. So Paul says, remember the things that I did, that you saw me do, you heard me say, and do those things. So what is Paul talking about here? What did the Philippians seen him do? What did they heard him say that, that they could put into practice as well? Well, most people believe that, that he's talking specifically about the time that he was with them in Philippi that you read about in Acts chapter 16. So we've kind of been working our way through the book of Acts. We're taking a little break. We'll come back to it a little later in the year. And one of the things we'll see is in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his missionary partner Silas are traveling around and they come to the city that received this letter, the city of Philippi. And in that time there, he and Silas have some really great times together. One of the things that happens is they meet this woman by the name of Lydia. She's a businesswoman and and she surrenders her life, becomes a Christian, becomes this great leader in the the church. And then they cast a demon out of this this woman who was a part of the... um, uh, like a fortune teller. She was like a fortune teller. And, and so it was great news that this woman is set free from this, this evil spirit, but it also starts to like cut into the fortune teller's profit. Um, and so they're kind of upset about that. So they start to spread bad words about Paul and Silas. And eventually, seems to always happen for Paul, he gets thrown into prison. So here's this poor guy thrown into prison and it's the middle of the night and they are wide awake. Paul and Silas just wide awake in the middle of the night. Not filled with worry, but if you read it, what are they doing? They're having like this full-on worship service. It says they're praying and they're singing songs to God in the middle of this time when they could have been focused on all of their problems. They were focused on God. Well, what happens is God sends an earthquake. This happens a few times for Paul. There's an earthquake and the prison doors open up and the Philippian jailer, the guy who's supposed to be guarding them, is just terrified by this. For one, he's afraid if all the prisoners escape that he's gonna be in trouble, big trouble. He could lose his life. But more than that, he's like, there was this earthquake when they were singing these songs, what happens? What's going on here? And this is what he says to Paul and Silas. He says, what must I do to be saved? And that's where Paul famously says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's exactly what happens to this Philippian jailer. They place their trust in Christ. He and his family are baptized. And all of this takes place because Paul chooses to flip what was a total hardship of being in prison upside down by not focusing on all of the problems, but instead focusing on the things of God. And it's hard to do, but he says, if you want to really get past this, where you have joy and peace, you got to fix your thoughts. you got to fix your thoughts so they're on the right things. In the book of Philippians, Paul gets at this a little bit more, actually, in Philippians uh, 1, verse 12. Let me just read this to you. He says this, and part of his letter about joy and peace is this. He says, hey, Philippians, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that Everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. So remember, we went over that list of all the things that had happened to Paul. And now he's writing from, again, from this house arrest. And he says, I want you to know, don't worry about me. All of that bad stuff has been a part of what God wanted to do in my life and in God sharing the good news. He says, um, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers uh, here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So Paul takes this horrible circumstance, circumstance, turns it upside down, and looks at the blessing of it by focusing on God.
And so step number one is we've got to fix our thoughts if we're going to have this kind of joy. Second thing we see uh, along those same lines is Paul says that you have to learn to be content in all circumstances. So we talked about how bad circumstances or challenging circumstances can rob our joy. Paul says you can actually be content in all different circumstances. So how do you handle it when things go wrong? How do you handle it when things change, uh, when challenging circumstances come at you fast? Um, I know it can be overwhelming. I know that it can be very stressful. But the Holy Spirit in us says your joy and your peace don't have to be dependent upon those things. This is the way the scripture says it. Verse uh, 11 and 12 in our, our main text from Philippians 4. It says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And I think, man, I literally don't know anybody who wouldn't want that verse to be true about themselves, right? To be able to say, whatever comes my way, I can have a lot or a little, it can be good or bad, I'm going to be content. Yet would you not agree that this idea, this value of contentment in our world actually, if anything, is getting more and more elusive. I think our, our world is known, if anything, more for its kind of a spirit of, of discontent. Our world is defined by outrage and offense and, and blame and victimization and all these things. I think, honestly, one of the things that Christians can learn to do is to have a, a thick skin, right? Because we know that there's going to be hard stuff. We know people are going to say things, do things, but we can have a thick skin because, like the spirit of Paul here, we understand that our joy and peace is not dependent on that, but I can be content in all circumstances. Yet I'm afraid our culture is, is not really going this way. Um, and so I, was, I, I don't know if how many of you guys have ever seen the blog Reason it's My Kid is Crying. So there's this great uh, blog on the internet where parents of toddlers and, and little ones can actually go and post a picture of their child and why they are crying. Seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? But if you're like a parent of a toddler, don't you need a little outlet? Um, so this is the kind of stuff you see here. So this guy right here, why is that little guy crying? I broke his cheese in half, right? <laughs> Which is worth a pity party. Or how about these two little ones? Oh my goodness, things are so bad. Why? They received new hats. <laughs> they were not happy about that. <laughs> this guy is clearly having a bad day. Why is that? Well, we sang him the happy birthday song. He was not happy about that. He was turning three. Look at this little girl. She is so distraught. Why is she so upset? I wouldn't buy her a Dolly movie. Look at the movie. It's a Chucky movie. It's like a horror movie. She's holding on to it. This guy, the world is coming to an end. Why? There was a hot dog in his cornbread, which I love usually. And then this is the last one here. How about these guys? What's the matter with them? This little guy, well, he met Bill Murray. And so, <laughs> you know, and you look at those and you laugh and you could see more of those. But, and you see that kind of discontent in, in little kids and it's, it's almost laughable. But I just wonder sometimes if God looks down at us consumed by the circumstances, full of discontent. And we may not always burst into tears in that way, but what we're not experiencing is the joy and the peace that he has 
given to us as a part of our birthright in Christ, taken away because of temporary circumstances that come at us. You know, to me, the great example, along with Paul in in Philippians, uh, of this in the last hundred years is Viktor Frankl, who, of course, endured uh, the the prison camp during during World War II as a a Jewish man. Um, And this is what he said. These words are just so profound. He says about his time there, he says, you can take away my wife. You can take away my children. Is there anything worse than that? He says, you can strip me of my freedom. But there is one thing that no one can ever take from me, and that is the freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. And the same is true for us as Christians. We can choose how we're going to react. Third and final thing as we kind of wrap things up uh, that Paul teaches us is the value of surrendering to Jesus and his power and grace. In fact, this last verse is a really famous verse. How famous? It's tattooed on Steph Curry's arm. Um, It says this, Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Have you learned through the years that when it comes to developing joy or peace or any of these other fruits of the Spirit that we're going to talk about, the secret to this is not your willpower. The secret is God's power, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but it's really hard to work on joy, And it's even harder to work on peace. Like this week, I'm going to make myself be peaceful, right? I'm going to experience joy no matter what. See, I'm joyful, right? There's there's exercises, there's activities. Those things are, are fine. But none of those things, none of the things out there will come close to the life that is transformed from the inside out by the work of the Holy Spirit alone. In fact, the so what is could be the same for every single one of these weeks. The so what is this. You guys, bear fruit is not a command. It is a prayer of surrender. This is not me or Steve or anyone else standing up here saying, get your act together. Do this stuff better, right? I heard a pastor who actually kind of helped shape some of this message talked about uh, a bad dog messages and, and this idea of I stand up and I say, bad dog, bad dog, right? And you stand up here and I say, be more joyful and have more peace and all those kind of things. And if you ever stand in front of a dog and wag your finger, what's that dog doing? You know, is it their eyes get sad and they tuck their tail and, you know, and they feel shame and regret and maybe even some remorse, but does it really change their behavior? No, not really at all. And so a dozen bad dog sermons about be more joyful and be more peaceful is not going to bring it. You know what's going to bring it is a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Because this is not me manually manufacturing these things. This is his sacred work taking place in my life. In fact, the action step is this. It is not necessarily to try harder, but it is to surrender more, right? We said always be full of joy, always be full of peace. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, by prayer, by prayer, experience the peace of God. And this week, my challenge to you, just like Jesus said it in in John 15, he says, He says, if you want to bear fruit, the way you do it is you stay connected to the vine. And in the same way, you want to experience joy and peace. Sure, there's some things that we could do, but those things will come and go compared to the abiding work of God's Spirit in your life as we surrender to Him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. From this ancient text, Lord, that could be written to us this very day,
And so, Father, I, I, I thank you and I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Um, Father, you have uh, designed us to be people of joy and peace. We know we carry heavy things. We know there's going to be things that, that we're not always happy about and aren't always easy. And yet, empowered by your Spirit, there is an abiding joy and an abiding peace that cannot be taken away by our worries or circumstances or those things. So I pray all across this room, for every person watching, for every person uh, being a part of this, Lord, I pray that you would draw us, Lord, to an ever closer relationship with you. We would lean into you and that you would do your sacred work in our life. Transform us from the inside out. Father, our prayer is this, bear fruit bear fruit in our life so that we would look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.